Matt and Lydia were out heading to dinner and maybe a little shopping on that Friday night. They motored down the main boulevard in their Dodge Spirit, looking for the right place for a dinner date. Since they were in Orlando Metro, there were more restaurants than Disney has Dalmatians. Before long, they noticed police presence everywhere. Police cars sped by with lights flashing and sirens blaring. Police officers and sheriff deputies were on foot, shining flashlights as they searched the ditches. Helicopters circled overhead, shining their spotlights on the unsuspecting city below. Matt and Lydia finished a delicious dinner and headed back toward their apartment. Even after hours of this countywide manhunt, the police were still searching for their suspect. Matt pulled the car in front of their apartment building and ran over to Lydia's side to open her door. Suddenly, he heard some rustling in the woods just behind the apartment. He whispered to his wife, I just heard something. It sounds like something or someone is in the woods. Before they had a chance to head up the stairs and into their apartment, Matt saw what he heard. A young man in his 20s, wearing jeans and a dark t-shirt, was crawling out of the woods and into the clearing right behind the apartment building, right in front of Matt and Lydia. And when the man made it to the clearing, he stood straight up and stared at the young couple. Everything started to make sense. That guy may be the guy the police were looking for. Dozens of heavily armed, highly trained officers and deputies, canine units, helicopter units, all looking for one guy. And there stands Matt, 150 pounds soaking wet with key rings in both pockets. Hasn't won an arm wrestling contest in 10 years. And he's looking right at the suspect. And the suspect was looking right back at him. Matt mumbled to his sweet wife, We need to get out of here now. So he and Lydia moved to the trunk of the car, opened it up like they didn't see anybody. No, nothing out of the ordinary. (whistles) Grabbed their shopping bags. Matt was trying to be cool and nonchalant, but inside he was screaming, Help! He closed the trunk. Together they walked toward the stairs and bolted up to their apartment, where Matt called 911 and waited for help to arrive. That was how people felt around the two thieves we meet in Luke 23 and Matthew 27. They were probably not garden-variety thieves boosting flat screens out of living rooms. For them to be crucified, those thieves either hurt someone in their burglaries or stole from someone powerful. They made their living off the dying. On that dark Friday, they were going to pay for their crimes, as both of those thieves found themselves crucified on crosses right next to Jesus. And I'll tell you a whole lot more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Hey, welcome back, God's Word for Life listeners. So happy to have you here. I'm L.J. Harry, your host. You're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion podcast. And today's episode is the last in our series, The Power of Forgiveness. And it is called A Tale of Two Thieves. And it comes right off the inspired pages of the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, in the final moments of Jesus' life on earth, the holiest man who has ever lived died between two convicted criminals as if he himself were a criminal. 
Luke called the two men who were with him malefactors. Great term. You got to use that at some point today, just in general conversation. But that was a standard term for a criminal, a malefactor, a scallywag, a ne'er-do-well, a real scallion. Matthew called them thieves. Jesus was crucified between them. His place in the center cross would have caused him to be the focus, the center of all attention, and even cause observers to believe Jesus was the worst criminal of them all. From the earliest hours in the morning until Jesus died around three o'clock in the afternoon, the crowd would not stop mocking Jesus. The Roman soldiers mocked him. They wrapped a scarlet robe around him. They shoved a crown of thorns on his head. They placed a reed in his hand as if they were giving a king a scepter. And they pretended to honor him and revere him by kneeling before him. And they mockingly said, Hail, King of the Jews, you're the king of these Jews. Then they mercilessly scourged him to within an inch of his life. And then they crucified him. And while Jesus was pouring out his love for all humanity as he was dying for our sins, even for people who hated him and murdered him, people still mocked him and blasphemed him. They should have honored him. They should have loved him. They should have thanked him because he raised their dead. He healed their sick and he died for them. But Matthew transcribed their actual blasphemous words. And they that passed by him reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests mocked him with the scribes and elders and said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. Oh, truer words had never been spoken. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now, if God will have him. For this blasphemer said, I am the son of God. And all that's found in Matthew 27, verse 39 to 43. Quick time out. When they said he saved others, he could not save himself. They didn't even know what they were saying, but they were absolutely right. He saved others. Therefore, he could not save himself. If he saves himself, we die. But if he saves us, he has to die. The crowd and the soldiers, they shook their heads in scorn. They blasphemed Jesus for actual truth that he spoke, that he called himself king of the Jews. Yes, he was, but not like they thought. But they didn't realize it. Jesus was the son of God. He was the savior, the king of Israel, someone who did trust in God, someone who was accepted by God more than anybody else. But the mockers, they didn't know it. They didn't see it. And they thought if Jesus could just come down from the cross and save himself, they would actually believe it. They would believe he was the Son of God, the Savior, the King of Israel, the King of the Jews, but only if he would save himself. But the truth be told, he could only save us if he refused to save himself. Which brings us to our first question. In understanding Jesus died so we can live, How should that make us feel toward him? After the Romans nailed Jesus to the cross, the soldiers nailed a sign above his head on which they wrote his charges. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Whenever someone was crucified, that charge against that person was written on a sign and the criminal carried it or it was hung around his neck. It was a way of letting everybody know, this is what I did and this is why I have to die for it. 
And finally, that sign was fixed to the cross, intending to deter anybody who was thinking about committing the same crime. You want to be the king of the Jews? This is what we do to the king of the Jews. The sign above Jesus was intended to be sarcastic. The Romans didn't believe he was the king, and the Jews certainly didn't believe it and didn't want him to be their king. In fact, they professed that the Romans ruled the Jews and that Caesar was their king. And this is what Roman power would do to anybody who claimed to be a king as a rival to Caesar. Jesus didn't come as a rival to Pontius Pilate. He didn't come as a rival to Caesar. Jesus didn't come to overthrow them or establish a new Jewish monarchy to throw off the yoke of Roman rule. One day Jesus will come again, and on that day he will be king over all the earth, and he will overthrow everyone opposed to God and to God's people. But that first time he came in that first century land of Israel, Jesus came to die on the very cross that so many others thought discredited him. Here's another question. How does God use the cross, a symbol of shame, as a symbol of hope for us? Jesus' own people didn't accept him or honor him because of the cross, but his followers accepted and honored him because of the cross and the price he paid for us there. To the Jews, the cross made Jesus repugnant and unworthy of their faith, but the cross makes Jesus beautiful and praiseworthy. Thanks to his love, he displayed on the cross, I worship him. He is my savior. He is my king. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Those were Paul's inspired words. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What should our response be to the cross and to Jesus for his love on the cross? It should be to give him thanks, to bow our knee in worship to him as our King and Lord. Not just words of praise, not just a song we sing as part of it, but worship is expressed in our actions and living our lives fully, totally, completely devoted to God in following his word. How could we do any less in light of the cross? When I was growing up as a boy, we used to sing the song, I will give you all. I will give you all. I won't sing it because you don't want to hear me sing. But the lines go, I will give you all. I will give you all. If all is what you ask of me, I will not withhold. If my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best, help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. How could we do less than devote ourselves completely to the Lord in light of Calvary? During that day, one of the thieves lobbied for Jesus to save himself and the criminals who were crucified with him. Okay, Jesus, let's see what you got. If you can save yourself, then get to saving. Get off the cross and then get us off these crosses. But that's not how we approach Jesus for salvation. We don't demand he do anything. He doesn't have to prove himself to us. We don't bring our arrogance and ignore our sin or make demands of him. He's the almighty God of glory. No, we come humbly before him. We profess him as Savior. We recognize his greatness and his grace he showed in dying for us. And we recognize our sin nailed him to the cross. We make no demands because he doesn't owe us anything. At the cross, we humbly bow. We confess our sins because only the humble, repentant heart finds forgiveness. Over the course of that day, a remarkable turn of events, one of the thieves had a change of heart. At first, he mocked and insulted Jesus along with his fellow criminal, but while he was nailed to his own cross, he began to listen more and talk less. And he began to realize Jesus really was 
who he said he was. It's a mystery how belief enters a person's heart. Next question. How can multiple people hear the same message or encounter Jesus in the same way, and one believes and the other's heart is hardened? 2 Peter 3 verse 9 teaches us it is not God's will that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. God doesn't force his will. He doesn't force us to believe. He'll move on us with the Spirit. He'll bring us to a place where we can believe, but in the secret place of the human heart, we must allow the Spirit of God to complete his work. And yet another, hearing the same message in the same service, another closes their heart to that message. On Calvary, on that afternoon, one of the criminals responded to the Spirit of God working in his heart. He had a change of mind about Jesus, and humbly he believed Jesus really was the Messiah, really was the Savior of the world. He even rebuked his other fellow rapscallion who continued to insult Jesus. And Luke recorded the conversation between the two thieves, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. Luke 23, verses 40 through 41. That rebuke must have stopped the mocking thief. Maybe he noticed his criminal counterpart had stopped insulting Jesus, but had no idea the Spirit of God was working on his heart to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit was causing him to truly recognize his own sin and see he was guilty and deserved death, but Jesus was not and did not. In a moment of divine revelation, the Spirit of God led one of the thieves to see Jesus as the Savior and to see his need to be saved. That's amazing grace. Miraculous faith enabled him to turn to Jesus for salvation while on the cross. God's Spirit brought him to faith and repentance, and he cried out to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And without hesitation, Jesus received the thief into right relationship with him. Jesus replied, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. In a moment, the thief's sins were gone, and he was forgiven. He was saved and ready to enter paradise. That's a bit of an odd couple. Jesus, the holy God of glory, who had never done anything wrong, and the thief who seemingly had not done anything right except cry out to Jesus for mercy, and it was enough. We don't know exactly how long that thief, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me, child of God, lingered in life before he died. But knowing his death was not the end, he would soon be with Jesus in paradise. I'm sure that eased his pain. He likely continued to suffer physically until his lungs exhaled their final labored breath and his eyes closed in death. But in that moment of release, he opened his eyes in a world beyond that world, and he once again saw Jesus, but not the battered, broken, bruised, bloodied Jesus he had seen on the cross. He saw the Lord of glory and shining splendor who gladly welcomed him home. What amazing grace! Brings us to our penultimate question, second to last. Some people are offended that a thief could be with Jesus after only praying near the end of his life. So why do we feel people need to earn the right to be saved? Let that one just sink in. 
wondrous grace, Jesus offered a former criminal, possibly a lifelong criminal. If people believe they can't be forgiven because their sins are so great or they think it's too late for them to come to Jesus, we can point them to this former thief who now lives eternally with Jesus Christ, the God of glory in paradise. His sins were so great, he even blasphemed Jesus on the cross, and yet God's grace was greater, and Jesus forgave him. Since he lived and died before Jesus died on Calvary and rose from the grave, the thief was saved immediately upon faith and repentance. But when Jesus poured out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he inaugurated a brand new, beautiful covenant for believers. Our experience with Jesus beautifully builds on faith and repentance as it leads us into covenant relationship with Jesus through water baptism in Jesus' name and being adopted into God's holy family through the indwelling Holy Spirit. For those who have sinned and run from God all their lives, God is always ready and willing to save. Even at the end of our lives, as death draws near, Jesus is ever ready and will save us if we yield to the work of His Spirit. We turn to Him in repentance so we can be born again of water and the Spirit, and we too will hear the Lord say, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Last question before we wrap up. Have you already responded in this way to the glorious gospel of Jesus? And if not, are you ready? And we wrap this up. God's grace and mercy, so much greater than we can imagine, so much greater. Think the heat of the sun versus the heat of a match. That's how much greater God's grace and mercy is than we can ever imagine. And this story of a repentant thief, now a child of God, gives us a glimpse of just how limitless, how timeless God's grace is. The Lord loves to save those whose sins and failures were abundant. We see that in so many stories in the scripture, in the former thief who is now a child of God. We see God's great grace in the life of Simon Peter, who denied he even knew Jesus after the crowd arrested Jesus. And then we also see it in Paul, who hated Jesus and persecuted and killed Christians. But God, in his great mercy, saved both of them and raised both of them up as leaders in the newborn New Testament church. We see God's grace in Mary Magdalene, who sinned so much she was possessed by seven devils. And Jesus graciously and powerfully delivered her. She became one of Jesus' most loyal disciples. She stood by Jesus at the cross, even when the other disciples, they fled, she was there. And Jesus honored her by first appearing to her after he resurrected. All of these people are flawed people, and yet today they're trophies of grace and mercy, and so are we. Our experience might not be as dramatic as the thief's. Frankly, thank God if it's not. But in some fundamental ways, our experience is greater than the thief's or anybody who died before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and before the outpouring on the day of Pentecost. The thief and others like him experienced salvation, but they didn't have the privilege to be baptized in water in Jesus' name and indwelt by the Spirit of God. And yet we get to experience that wonderful new birth and testimony that through the message of a preacher or through reading the Scripture and seeing the need for God's Spirit in our lives, His Spirit has moved on us and moved on others to bring them to faith in this desire to be saved. And because of that, we can help them lead them to the waters of baptism in Jesus' name and help them to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
as God supernaturally moves on them with the initial sign of speaking in other tongues. The thief didn't get to experience all of that. But for all of us who have and do, one day we will be with Jesus and with that former thief, now child of God, for eternity. Praise God for his great grace. Let's pray for God to help us always to have a repentant heart, to follow that thief's lead and repent and ask God to forgive us, remember us. And then let's pray for God to help us to minister to those who need him. Maybe there are thieves in your world, people you don't believe, even want to know Jesus, and yet hopefully the grace and mercy of God in your life will testify to them of his grace and mercy he wants to work in their life, and they can have the same testimony as you have and the same testimony as so many others who have also been born again. Lord Jesus, help us to always be repentant. We don't deserve anything you give us. Any good gift you give is all because of your grace and mercy. Help us to come humbly before you, repentant, never demanding our way or thinking we deserve any good gift. And yet you and your grace and mercy are so generous. I ask you today, help us to minister to others. Whether we think they deserve it or not doesn't matter. Your grace is sufficient. Help us to minister to others who we don't even know if they want to know you, but to let our light shine and to be a testimony and a witness to them of your grace and mercy in our life and what you want to do in theirs. I pray, Lord, I know there are so many more thieves out there, so many more people out there you want to change their lives. Lead us to them, hungry people who want to know you. Minister through us to them, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, God's Word for Life listeners. I'm so glad you're on the podcast. If you have not yet joined the God's Word for Life family, we have a whole line of curriculum for children, youth, and adults. All of this is available at PentecostalPublishing.com. Use promo code GWFL10, GWFL, the number 10, and you can receive 10% off your entire order at PentecostalPublishing.com. Bulk up on curriculum. We have daily devotional guides, leader guides, lesson guides, study guides, all of those available at PentecostalPublishing.com, and you can get that to help you become a closer follower of Jesus Christ. This episode wraps up our series on the power of forgiveness. But be sure to subscribe, like, share, follow, notify, all of that. That way you'll never miss any episode and you can share it with others who would be blessed by these episodes as well. Next week, we open up a brand new series in this summer 2023 season, and it is called Kingdom Living. We're going to take a seat on the mountain and listen to Jesus as he shares his Sermon on the Mount. And the first episode is called The Life God Blesses. I want to be blessed. This is going to tell us how. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, Visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.